Hi, I'm Erin Hartz. Welcome to Grace Plus Boundaries, a weekly memoir in a podcast. I've realized through the past decade of my recovery that I learn the most about emotional maturity through listening to the triumphant stories of others. Are you yearning to unpack the effects of intergenerational trauma in your life? Do you want to stay true to your feelings, yet also learn how to accommodate the sensibilities of your loved ones? I'm dedicated to cracking the code of combining boundary setting with grace towards one another. Educate, evaluate, and evolve. Let's do this together. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. I'm Erin Hart. This is Self-Care for Survivors of Trauma. And I really went through an experience this weekend, and I really wanted to tell you all about it. And there was really a story behind the experience that I went through, something that happened to me in eighth grade, so junior high time. This story is something that's been a source of shame for me my whole life, but I was I almost want to say in denial about how deep it hurt or I was unable to dig that deep until just this past weekend, really. I was ready to get into my therapy session and do some EMDR on this memory that I realized was a really big deal, but it's taken me a long time to realize that this is a really big deal that I probably need to go back and process it is what my therapist would say. But isn't that interesting the way I've gone through years of therapy at this point and it's strange the way our healing and our trauma work kind of goes in a circular fashion, right? It's not like I've never talked about this story. I've mentioned it to this therapist once or twice and maybe to a trusted friend once or twice. But the amount of depth that I was able to get to in getting to my feelings about what this incident meant to me and how difficult it was, I got to a new level this week. And getting out that, I realized that I really want to tell this story. There's that inner child in me, my 13-year-old self, that she wants me to tell this story. It's like she's getting this opportunity for her voice to be heard right now in this podcast. And it makes me choke up because her voice was so silenced. She chose not to speak out about this thing that happened. And my therapist says it really wasn't a choice. Like there was really no way I could have told the truth at that time in my life. And that that is true. Everything would have fallen apart. But um, I get an opportunity today to say the truth and talk about all the layers of emotions that are surrounding it. And in some ways, it's strange. It's almost like I'm proud of this story, even though I don't think it's really anything to be proud of. Um, it's like it gives me a reason for all my trauma. Like, I feel like I realized how bad this really was last weekend when I was going through the EMDR for it and how painful these things were for me as a child and that I still needed to do some work there. You know, I think I'd minimized it or just not really gotten it, not really understood all the layers upon layers of hurt and abuse and neglect I felt in that situation. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my therapy session on Saturday, and then I will go in and tell you the story of my 13-year-old self in eighth grade with kind of a group of mean girls, or at least one queen bee mean person 
who was sexually abusive to me and trying to be sexually abusive towards other girls and something happened to bring that all kind of to a head in our eighth grade year. So I will tell that story, but I just want to kind of go back to about how this like even came about because I was kind of thinking, you know, I should probably go back to this memory. A couple of weeks ago, I wanted to do some EMDR again. I hadn't done it for a while because everything had been going pretty well and you kind of need a memory that you're focused on and it, nothing really had been coming up. And then recently I'm like, you know, I should probably go back to that one again. It seems like it's really important and I was going to talk to my therapist about it. But this past week before my therapy session, I had a stressful week at work. Um, I've mentioned before that I teach middle school and we had some testing going on like statewide testing this week and that can be really stressful because it's all legal and you know the kids get stressed out and um, they just get worried and anxious and it's just it's a lot to to take care of like it almost seems easy because then you just you know administer the test and how hard can that be to like watch people take a test but everything that goes into that 45 minutes of the students taking the test and like making sure their computers are right and everybody's logging in properly and no one logs out incorrectly and yada yada it's actually really stressful so anyway I was dealing with that this week and some things weren't I wasn't feeling supported at my work and that was really stressful. So I was up a couple nights this week also and some students, a couple were just really poorly behaved this last week. So my brain wakes up at night and wants to solve these problems that I have at work and I haven't been able to find a way to really turn it off. I've tried journaling that sometimes helps to get that voice to get its feelings out. Um, But this time, you know, I kept telling the voice like, I'm here, I'm listening. I know you really want to solve this problem. Well, don't worry. You know, I tried to do all the things that I'd learned how to do. It really wasn't helping. So I missed some sleep. And I was telling my therapist about that. And she was saying that that was kind of my hypervigilant part that was there's a fearful part and then there's a like hypervigilant part that's like trying to solve all the problems because of we don't want to get in trouble and like she kind of dug into that like why did I why was I worried that I wasn't going to solve the problems you know and it came to the fact that I was worried that someone was going to say I did something wrong or I was going to get in trouble or you know and it came back to me at five years old or so being really humiliated by my parents because they would say that my stomach was too big and I was like overweight um, and it was mostly just like telling me my tummy was too big and like rubbing my belly and stuff like that and being like oh you've got a gut and like making fun of my stomach. Um, I feel like it could have been as early as five years old maybe even earlier but certainly in my younger years that was something my parents did. My therapist says that's incredibly abusive And it feels that way, even though to me, it seems like there can be so much worse forms of abuse. That to me was very, very abusive and very, very damaging to the rest of my life and my body image. And I'm still really struggling to this day to accept my body for the way it is. And what we came down to was the fact that I felt extremely humiliated. Like I wasn't good enough at all the time. Like my body wasn't good enough. And at five years old or 10 years old, you don't have control over your body. You don't know how to make it look better. And you don't really, you shouldn't have to, right? Bodies are bodies. And um, 
that was really humiliating to me because it was like I was supposed to know this secret language or these rules that I didn't know and everybody else was laughing at me. That's what it felt like. So this brought us also to the back to the memory of me at 13 that I'm going to tell you the story of today. So my therapist says they're all linked together because the humiliation I felt in this 13-year-old story was very similar to the humiliation I felt when my family told me that I was overweight or that my tummy was too big because it was like I was being myself and I wasn't good enough and I should feel ashamed of the way I just was. It wasn't like I was doing anything to make myself that way. It's just there's you're you're wrong to be the way you are is kind of the message I was getting and I'm just not good enough. Um, so we kind of used those two memories and they started to kind of merge together as we did the work. And um, I wanted to mention one more thing here that I told you guys a couple episodes ago that I was reading that book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is a really great book and I totally recommend it. It really explains a lot of these things that we talk about as survivors of trauma and how trauma gets stored in our body. And then it discusses like how we might relieve that trauma from our system. And one of the things they say about EMDR or processing trauma is that you might be able to, when you get to know that memory well, kind of go back in there as your adult self into that memory of you as a child and then rescue that little part of you that was feeling sad and take them out of that situation. And the first time I did the EMDR was because of the memory of me getting sexually abused um, by my best friend when I was little. And she was a girl my age. I'm going to call her, let's call her Brittany on this, on this podcast today. So Brittany started touching me and doing things to me um, when we were maybe about five years old. I spent the night at her house a lot and we knew each other since we were little. And you know, there were a lot of sleepovers and lots of opportunities for her to do things to me and that kind of thing. But in the daytime, we would play together like nothing happened. Of course, we never talked about it. Um, It became kind of like, I guess, a pattern. And I'm sure she was being abused by someone else. How would she have known to do those types of things? And so I became, in a weird way, like addicted to the friendship, I would call it now. Um, because of the dopamine that comes into our bodies and the chemicals, or actually, is it the dopamine? So the hormone that's released through an orgasm is oxytocin, and that is a bonding hormone. So back then, when I experienced that for the first time through this abuse, I was, I guess you could say, traumatically bonded to this friend of mine. And I'm assuming and I know from other therapists saying so and Martha Beck saying so that that me being sexually abused was actually an effect of me having such emotional neglect in my family growing up and I'm assuming that this kind of verbal abuse or body shaming that went on in my house too probably had something to do with that like I felt like I had to be kind of performative and so perfect for my parents to love and accept me 
And that started definitely around that age five, around the same time that this friend started doing these things to me. I don't exactly know the timeline, but you know, it seems like it was around that same point of time. So those things really go together. Like it wasn't just that I was some normal kid in a normal house or whatever normal means, but you know, typical kid that was in a healthy home. And then there's this friend that just grabs me and ruins my life forever, you know, that's really not how it happens. I mean, this is because of trauma that happened in the past that I would even have been able to have this happen and not tell somebody about it, right? So I knew as a five-year-old or six-year-old or however old I was when that first happened that I certainly wasn't going to tell anybody about it. And I have mentioned this before on the podcast. Okay, so now I'm going to go to the 13-year-old memory. So me and Brittany, this best friend of mine, um, we actually went to different elementary schools. And it wasn't until junior high that we went to the same school. So we had seen each other on the weekends for years here and there. And the molestation or abuse, you know, it would go on, I, I don't know, you know, a few times a year maybe, Um and there were periods of time where we didn't see each other as much as we grew older. Um, but this time now in middle school, or it was junior high back then, seventh and eighth grade, we went to the same school. So I was kind of excited because I went to a elementary school that wasn't in my neighborhood because my mom was a teacher at that school. And those kids went to a different middle school. So when I went to middle school, none, zero of the kids that were at my elementary school went with me to middle school. So I knew zero people at my junior high except for Brittany. So that kind of was a rough setup too, because in some ways in the beginning, I was kind of tied to her a little bit. Like she was my only friend that I already knew. Well, luckily, Brittany was friends with a lot of really sweet girls. And so the big group of us um, became friends quick. I became friends with the other girls too. And Brittany kind of led the pack. Um, And so we would, you know, eat lunch together every day. And a lot of us were in in band and played instruments. So we had that to bond with. And um, like in general, seventh grade, we were pretty happy doing our own little thing there, um, sitting on the hill by the band room and eating our lunch. And um, you know, we, we, it was fine. It, it seems like we were all getting along pretty well that seventh grade year. But then we had, I don't know, there was some sleepover. And there was a couple sleepovers. But this sleepover was at another girl's house. She had her birthday party. And this girl was really religious. And I bring that in because of something that is going to happen later in the story. Well, apparently at that birthday party, I don't think I was there when the incident actually happened, but Brittany must have tried some something sexual with one of the girls at the party during the night or evening when we were there. And so the religious girl who was having the party, she started calling Brittany a lesbian. She's like, oh my gosh, you're a lesbian, you know, and she started calling, I don't know, somebody else one too, um, or I don't know. She made a big stink about this whole lesbian thing, right? Because the way she was brought up, that was obviously not okay. And I mean, there's other things that weren't okay too, that that person would have tried something sexual or that she would have thought she was a lesbian. Like, I don't even know how that happened, but um, it all became this big deal. 
And so one day in eighth grade, we're all at school and the counselors called a group of us into the counseling office and to talk about this calling Brittany and others lesbians. And there were probably six or seven girls there and some of them were recounting the slumber party and I don't think it was a huge incident. I want to say there was something said about maybe touching someone's boob or I don't even remember or kissing. I don't remember what it was. But whatever Brittany had done, the other girl said, that's, you're a lesbian. Don't do that kind of stuff or whatever. And then she started calling it. So the counselor was like going with every girl and asking like, do you know anything about this and blah, blah, blah. And um, I remember at some point, the counselor looked at me and there was more to it than that. Like where they were asking us like, where did this even start? Why would you call that? And at one point she looked at me and said, hey, you haven't said anything. Um, what is your part in this situation? And I mean, it was kind of like my life flashed before my eyes in that situation because it seemed like this small issue, right? That one girl's calling another girl a lesbian. But when it came to me, did I have information concerning this situation? Uh, Yeah, I had information concerning this situation. And that little office with the counselor and the seven girls, that was the first time I had heard anything about Brittany doing something sexual with another girl. And so while I was in that counselor's office is when I heard the girls talking about Brittany doing whatever she was going to do, trying to kiss them or whatever. And I think at least two girls talked about incidences where Brittany had tried to do something to them. And so I was living in a total state of shock at that moment because this friend of mine who I'd had since I was three years old, who I had a sexual relationship with, who I had never told anybody about that. It was so secretive. I thought she was a good friend of mine. I guess at that point I thought she cared about me. And I was finding out that she actually didn't care about me at all. Like she was doing this with other girls. I meant nothing to her. And I don't think I pondered as that my young self like that. I don't think I pondered that this girl like cared about me. But I think the sexual stuff made me feel special. And that was why I went back for it is because it made me feel special. And so this time in that counselor's office, I realized that, oh my God, I'm not special at all. Like this girl doesn't give a shit about me, you know, and Brittany was right there and I could tell easily by the look on her face, the contempt she had for me and I could look back at all the times she just really wasn't that nice to me and I had a choice at that moment. I mean, I kind of don't think that Brittany was even worried I was going to tell the truth. I mean, I, I think she knew that I wouldn't because she knew she had had me. She was very manipulative as a young person. She knew I was compliant and that's why she was able to do stuff to me. She knew I wasn't going to tell because I hadn't told in, you know, seven years. Um, so at that moment, you know, I had a chance to tell the truth, 
but I said, no, I don't, I would, I didn't see that actually happening at the birthday party. And so the counselor at that point was like, okay, then you need to go back to class. I mean, I feel like probably my world just changed from that day on, you know, and sadly, I was still kind of friends with Brittany after that. And I still went to sleepover parties with the friends at her house. I don't think I saw her as much. And thank goodness that eighth grade year, I had a separate lunch period than her. Like most of those friends had like one period lunch and I had the other period lunch for whatever reason. I think because I had like advanced classes or something and I'm not sure. I luckily found two other friends who were super nice and really cared about me and got to hang out with them every day at lunch. And thank goodness, you know, that saved my life at that time. The fact that I had that pivotal point where someone directly asked me, like, what do you know about this situation? And on surface, it looked like there really wasn't anything there. But just imagine if I had said... Well, actually, Brittany has been sexually abusing me since I've been five years old. I mean, there's no way I could have said that in that situation. Like, maybe I could have gone back to the counselor later and told her. But I mean, that wouldn't have worked out well for me. I mean, I've already already had parents that were not willing to understand my side of things and shamed me for even my stomach being too big. I mean, just think of how much they would have shamed me for doing sexual things with a girl, even though I was the victim. Like, I know they would have, my mom would have turned that around on me somehow. And it would have been this huge stink. And probably it just, it would have ruined my reputation. Like, then I would have definitely been called a lesbian, which nowadays, like, that's okay with me. But, um, I mean, I'm not a lesbian. I'm bisexual. But I mean, like back then, that was something that really bothered people. Like if you were called lesbian or gay, that was not cool. I guess today it's kind of like that too, sadly. I wish it wasn't. But back then, I think it was even more stigmatized because at that point, even though me and Brittany had had a sexual incident just a few months before this counseling session, I think that's why it stung so bad because I think she and I hadn't had a lot of sexual things in the last few years, but a few months before that counseling session and the birthday party, we had had a sexual experience together. I even was really turned on by her. She was very beautiful. And before that, we were just little kids. And this time I was a teenager. I don't ever think I really took that seriously, but I think that's why it hurt even more because it was like I lost a friend and I kind of lost a lover in a way. And then I also knew I couldn't speak up because I'd be totally ostracized by the rest of the girls in that group. And then, of course, I couldn't let my parents know or any teachers at school know because they would have to do something about that. And my whole world would have turned upside down. So, of course, I said nothing. And I went on with my life, you know, and and shoved it way, 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 way down to where Now I'm 42 years old trying to unpack the trauma of that situation. (sighs) I really wanted to tell that story to you guys today. And I feel for my 13-year-old self like that sucked really bad. I guess as a teacher, it just makes me remember how hard junior high is and how a lot of times there's a lot underneath uh, what's going on in what you see. 
We just never know what's happening right before us. I don't know really what to say about that, but I really hope that me telling my story will help you take your trauma seriously of what's happened to you in the past. Maybe seek help for it. Try to find a therapist that is does EMDR. There are so many therapists online now that you can find that you don't have to live in the same city. It's so much more widely available than it ever was before. For me, it's worth the money investment because I pay out of pocket for my therapist since my healthcare provider Kaiser is in therapy. They're just not good. I've tried many times and I don't like their therapists in general. They just, they don't have the kind of philosophy that I look for in a therapist and they minimize what I, what I feel. So take your time, find the right therapist, interview those therapists, feel confident in saying no when that person isn't a good fit. And when you know they are a good fit, you'll just know you'll have that feeling of, yeah, this feels right. I hope that you get to do that and do the work because I feel lighter today because I did that work on Saturday. And I had a bunch of people today tell me how good I looked. And that does not happen very often at my work at all. Like no, normally not many people say anything to me. And someone told me my hair looked really good today. Someone really liked my outfit. Um, someone else said I was glowing. And I'm just like, wow, cool. You know, and I think it's because I did this work on myself. I don't know. But um, I want that for you. So keep on looking, keep on trudging. You can do it. And I'll see you next time. Bye bye. You deserve a big high five and a smile in the mirror for showing up for yourself today. Thank you for your dedication to introspection and self-awareness because our personal evolution is what will make this world a better place. If you enjoyed the episode, please give me a five-star review and share it with a friend. And let me know if you want to be a guest to share how you are navigating intergenerational trauma in your life. You're welcome to join my free monthly goal-setting workshop on the first Wednesday of every month. Just DM me at iHeartsAaron.